day, what a day. Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you. Thanks for joining us today on a really big day brought to you by PT's, the best happy hour in town. They also own the Strat in Arizona. Charlie's, a great place to go tonight on Bobby's birthday. Bobby runs the show. Happy birthday and a good night for the Vegas Golden Knights, who I believe need to start getting on a roll. And I mean a big roll. We'll get into that later on the show. Hope you're having a great day today. It is the calm before the storm For the Raider Nation in the upcoming draft in Cleveland, Ohio, where the Raiders pick number 17. With the Masters, we'll talk about that today. I have NBA conversation, the Sam Darnold trade. We're kind of all over the place, which I like. I like these type of shows because I don't know what's going to happen. Pat Toomey joins us, former Raider, uh, Super Bowl champion with the Cowboys. And how about the book and the movie? And how that all came into play on any given Sunday. He published a series of books, including the novel, on any given Sunday. He also played the part of an assistant coach to Y.A. Tittle in the Oliver Stone film, Any Given Sunday. So I'm really looking forward to talking to him. Once a Raider, always a Raider. At the bottom of the hour, he was a Super Bowl champion on defense in Super Bowl VI for the Dallas Cowboys and came to the Raiders and played with the Oakland Raiders from 1977 through 1979. Really unique guest. Uh, Truly looking forward to that. So we're all over the place today, which is good. That's why I got into this business, to talk about multiple things. The news is not good for Deshaun Watson. Nike has dropped him. So what that says to me is that Nike understands that there's something big happening with Deshaun Watson, and they have halted their sponsorship with him, also beats by Dre. So if you look at this, these are big companies. Dr. Dre, beats by Dre, and Nike has suspended their endorsements with Deshaun Watson. Quote, Nike said, we are deeply concerned about disturbing allegations and have suspended Deshaun Watson. Wow, that's pretty big. He hasn't been brought to court yet. There hasn't even been a police report. An investigation has just opened up. But if Nike's going to do that, that's pretty serious. 22 women have filed lawsuits against Watson over the past month that allege a disturbing pattern of behavior during massages and therapy sessions. Uh, Yesterday, Ashley Solis publicly spoke about her allegations, and it had a really big impact. It had an impact on two companies, Beats by Dre and... Nike, they didn't cancel it two days ago. They canceled it after uh, the appearance by one of the alleged victims. So this is a huge deal, everybody. I mean, look, it's not something that a lot of people are comfortable talking about, nor should we because there's an investigation in progress. But it's a really big story because he's that big time. He is that big time of a player. And he could have ended up anywhere. He could have been traded to Las Vegas. It wasn't a good fit because, you know, we're Derek Carr country here. But he could have been traded already, and a team would have had been dealing with this. Imagine you're the team that traded for Deshaun Watson a month ago, and this happens. 
And there's also been in the back of my mind, in the back of my mind, that he's wanted out of Houston because of this. He knew it was coming. He knows these women, 22 women, 18 coming to his defense in some way, 40 women. Maybe he realized this was coming a year ago, six months ago, four months ago, and said, get me the hell out of here. Maybe that's why he doesn't want to play for them. I don't know. But this is a big, big, big story, and we'll stay on top of this. Also today, as we open up the show, I want to get into what the Raiders need to do. Deshaun Reed, who I reached out to today, I thought he wrote a really good column for The Athletic. And the column, the Raiders' 10 best NFL draft prospects and the fits at offensive tackle. And he wrote about, do they need to address this in the first round? This is some really good writing over at The Athletic by Deshaun Reed. And I read it twice because in my notes, I have the players that he's looking at, but in a little bit of a different order of how the Raiders could fix that right tackle position. And that's really the biggest need going into the draft. But I believe the biggest need is linebacker. And I've been saying that for a while. And I'm the guy who told you that they would get Yannick Ngakwe. I told you that for a year, and they got him. And I believe they need to make a priority with linebacker, with Micah Parsons, because I think they can get a right tackle in free agency or a trade. I think they can get a man, a grown-ass man, who plays offensive line to play right tackle, And they might not have to do it in the first round of the draft. But for whatever reason, this organization struggles mightily in finding linebackers who play. And I think we're getting lulled to sleep on that topic. And I think it's important for me to give you my opinion on this topic and for you to disagree or agree with me. Because I think it's a really big topic. If you believe that the organization can figure out the linebacker position without your advice, fair. That's why Mike Mayock gets paid millions of dollars and John Gruden $100 million. But from everything that I've seen, the Raiders have not been able to nail it and get a linebacker who can make plays. And Gus Bradley's here to change that, and he can do it one of two ways. Let Gus Bradley be able to get a linebacker in the first round, which I would recommend. Or secondly, have Gus Bradley coach these guys up better and get them to play better. And that would be Corey Littleton, Nick Witkowski, and Nicholas Morrow, none who I believe play at a very high level in this league. I think I'm right. If you disagree with me, I got an open line or two at 702-365-9200. So really where I'm going at, the way that I'm going to attack the draft is one of two ways. Do we believe in the players who are there? Do we believe in the players who are there? Because we haven't had a linebacker since Ted Hendricks. Since Ted Hendricks, the mad stork. You could say Greg Beekert and my friend Kirk Morrison, no disrespect to them, they were not perennial pro bowlers. I grew up with the greatest linebacker of all time. I did, Lawrence Taylor. He was the greatest linebacker of all time. And then, over the last 20 years, I saw the second greatest linebacker of all time in Ray Lewis. And I saw him from the field in Oakland playing epic games against the, uh, the uh, Oakland Raiders. And I saw Ray Lewis, who was just a badass when he came out of the tunnel. Then I became friends with one of the top five linebackers that I've ever seen, a guy by the name of Junior Seau, who's no longer with us. Junior was very nice to me for a Super Bowl where I did my show for a week from his restaurant in San Diego. So I've seen great linebackers. I've seen them. 
And then I've seen other linebackers who are very good and even overachieved and played well, like Phil Villapiano, who's a frequent guest on this show. So if we all believe going into the draft this month that the Raiders are fine at linebacker, I think you're nuts. I think you've lost your mind because I don't think these guys are elite at all. And Littleton was supposed to be a pro bowler. And he was supposed to do things. Now, why did he do great things with the Rams? Because Aaron Donald required a double team, and they had a really good defense, and he was able to run clean, and he made a lot of plays. That doesn't happen in Las Vegas yet. So I'm going to assume Gus Bradley's going to get more out of him, right? Isn't that the smart thing to do? Gus Bradley and the new coaches that are coming in are going to make everybody better. They better. I mean, that's the plan. So that happens. So that, what does that mean? You don't get a linebacker? Morrow was out of the was off the team a year ago. I didn't even think he'd make the team on special teams. He's a good player, and he played better than I thought, and I've made that point clear on this broadcast multiple times that he is a player that played at a higher level. So I would go linebacker with the first pick, and I'd trade up from 17 to 9 or 10 to go get him, but I don't think the Raiders are going to do that. And if the Raiders don't want to do that, then I'll just stay in my lane and I'll sit here and figure out who they're going to take the way Deshaun Reed wrote about it in The Athletic where they have uh, Rashawn Slater. He has as the number one guy out of Northwestern because he said there's no way Oregon's Penny Sewell, the best offensive tackle prospect in the draft, there's no way he falls to number 17. And I agree with that. Then he has uh, Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State, 6'7", 320, he would be really good. And then Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC, he's the best guard prospect in the draft. And, you know, he started out at left tackle, and maybe you can move him around there. He'd be a good pick. And then the player I believe the Raiders are most likely to get, Christian Derisaw out of Virginia Tech, 6'5", 315. Some people consider him a guard, but he was a three-year starter at left tackle and played in the ACC at a very high level. So those players are going to be available. Those players should be available. And the great Alex Leatherwood of Alabama, man, what a machine he is. And he's just a road grader. So for the Raiders, I don't know who they're going to get, but clearly the media is now leaning towards right tackle. And I, JT the Brick, who never claimed to be a part of the media, you know, people mock me. I'm not a journalist. I'm just an opinionated sports talk host. I say linebacker because this will be, you know, my 23rd season with the team, and I really haven't seen a linebacker. I've seen a bunch of nice guys that I like a lot who are friends of the show, but no one that's going to show up at the Pro Bowl and everybody's going to say, wow, that's the Raider linebacker. So I think that's a priority, and I'm going to stand by that even though I think they'll probably go right tackle. And then we have the opportunity to talk about edge rusher and Quiddy Pay, who's a defensive lineman slash edge rusher linebacker, who I think's a badass, or one of these Miami lunatics, Jalen Phillips or Gregory Rousseau, who can tackle in space and are very athletic. Look, man, all I want to see is an athlete who can cover and tackle. That's it. An athlete who can line up correctly who can go sideline to sideline and can play all three downs. Is it that hard? Yes, it's been that hard for this team. They haven't been able to do it. I don't know why. I don't think it's been a priority. And that's okay. John Gruden is an offensive-minded head coach. He likes receivers. 
He likes having backup running backs who can rush for 1,000 yards and catch the ball. And he likes tight ends, multiple tight ends that can block in a two-tight end set. And he likes a quarterback that can handle anything, and that would be Derek Carr. Where, as we've talked about going forward, Derek Carr is going to have to play at a higher level this year. And he's already played at a pretty high level. You know, Derek's played at a very high level in this league. And he's in unbelievable shape, and he's ready to go. But he's got to do a little bit more. And I think what he has to do a little bit more is he's got to change plays or get the Raiders out of certain plays or get them into other plays with his legs. His legs, he's got to be able to run. He's got to be able to run more and pick up first downs instead of on third and six, a deflected or intercepted. He doesn't throw a lot of interceptions, but a drop ball or whatever. Derek's got to run because on third and six, Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert run, and they pick up first downs. And I think Derek's going to do more and more of that. And with his contract status, depending on what the Raiders want to do with Derek long-term, Derek's got to take his game to a higher level. Because if not, then what are we all doing here? His game's got to get better because Tom Brady's and Aaron Rodgers, their game got a lot better at the same age that Derek is now. Right? You go, Derek just turned 30. Let's go back in the hot tub time machine and talk about Tom Brady at 30. Would you like to do that? To see what Tom Brady did from 30 to 43? They're going to have documentaries about it for 100 years. Look at Aaron Rodgers from the age of 30 to where he is now. Look at Phillip Rivers. Look at Drew Brees. Look at all the greats. They've exploded in regards to their upside by the age of 30 to 34, 35. I'm not saying that Derek's got to be elite at 38 years old. I don't see why. But we'd all agree that Derek's got to be better from the age of 30 to 32, 33. And if he's not, he's not going to be here. Because the Raiders cannot continue to have a very good quarterback who isn't great as the quarterback draft this year is going to have multiple players who are considered to have a higher ceiling than Derek Carr, which would be Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and possibly Trey Lance. I don't think that Mac Jones has a higher ceiling than Derek Carr at all, but I know that Lamar Jackson does and Patrick Mahomes does, and it looks like Justin Herbert has a higher ceiling than Derek Carr. looks that way as I see this out of the gate. So all of this comes together and we circle back for the draft. So again, we got a good piece of content today, and more and more people are talking about it. I just like to get a few calls while we have room for you in the monologue on what, what your priority is: right tackle or defense. And you don't have to be specific on defense. You can just call me and say defense, and that would help me. But I think what's happening now is we're all getting lured into the media perspective, and some of it's very good that it's got to be a right tackle. I don't know. I don't know about that one. I like grown-ass right tackles who have played in the league and have film. I like that than a rookie who's never played against J.J. Watt or guys like Yannick Ngakwe are coming in. Remember the Colt Miller struggles early at left tackle, but he was a little bit injured. But if they get a player that drops to 17 that should have been taken at 12 or 13 on the offensive line, you will not hear a complaint from me. I won't complain. You know, I didn't complain about Henry Ruggs III when I got wind that they were going to draft him because I knew that the message from the organization was they needed Tyreek Hill. And Henry Ruggs III was more Tyreek Hill than CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy. He just is. You can do more things like Tyreek Hill with them. 
as I told you, as Gruden is trying to match the roster of Andy Reid, along with the principles of running the organization, like Bill Belichick. That is no secret, but I've been privy to this information for quite some time since Coach Gruden came back. It's a very simple formula. Try to beat Kansas City in the division by matching up personnel-wise with them, and then run the organization with a powerful head coach who has a tremendous amount of power, Bill Belichick, and try to take those formulas and bring it to Las Vegas with a brand-new stadium and the ability to recruit players to play here. On that front, I'm not blown away. I'm not blown away of Vegas and the recruitment, are you? I mean, I'm not blown away. I don't see helicopters landing at the private airport in Henderson where free agent after free agent after free agent wants to be here yet. I don't kind of get that yet. I thought that would be something much bigger. I thought it was going to be much more elaborate on that front. And I don't know, maybe I'm missing it a bit. Maybe that happens at some point down the road. But I'm pro Vegas. I'm pro the facility, the stadium, the lifestyle, the real estate, the no state taxes everything here, and I want that to kind of filtrate through the NFL where free agents want to be here. Okay, they don't want to be here because not only the legends and all the legends that played for the team, we know that already, but they want to be here because they just really want to get to Vegas. And maybe that just takes a little bit more winning. But I'm usually, I'm never confused. You know, I always have a pretty good opinion, you know me. But I'm a little bit concerned about the right tackle versus defense. Because I saw how bad this defense was last year. They were bad. They were flat out bad. I did the pre and post with Eric Allen. We watched the games together. They were bad. And they fired the defensive coordinator. They went out in the offseason and brought in a lot of bodies, a lot of guys who were coming in. Solomon Thomas, I think Yannick's going to be great. Bought in like 11, 12, 9 defensive tackles. They're not all going to make the team. David Irving came on the show. He sounded like a real big badass who wants to be a pro bowler. So they got a lot of guys there. But I'm very concerned at the linebacker position and then behind the linebackers in the secondary. So I don't know. I would use like the first three out of four picks and just plug and play the best defensive players that are there. I would do that and then get some guys that are going to be great because the last year I think the team thought about Amik Robertson they thought about Tanner Muse, right? They thought about, you know, a bunch of players that came in and they didn't stick and they didn't play well and they were draft picks, Lynn Bowden, that didn't even make the team. And they got to be better now. They got to be like really good defensive players who are going to come in and tell other guys, no, 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 I'm here. I'm younger. I was just drafted. I want your position. And I'm going to fight you for that position. And there's, there's a couple of alpha dogs running around in that locker room on the defensive side, led by my guy, Yannick Ngakwe, who seems to be that guy. So quite simply, it's this. Right tackle or anybody on defense. 702-365-9200. Bunch of good interviews lined up as always here. It's Bobby's birthday. I'm excited about it. A lot happening. The Masters is here, which I'm thrilled about. It's my favorite television and sports, almost my favorite, other than the NFL playoffs. I love the Masters. And then a lot of good conversations that we're going to have from a gambling perspective and the draft in the next couple of weeks here. So we're ready to roll. Let's get on the phone and let's get this show moving because I do five hours a day, and this is the first 19 minutes. So I got a long day today. I'd like to hear from you. 
Big Al in San Francisco. Good to hear from you, Big Al. How you been? I'm good, JT. Just working away here. I want to take a break and give a call in. Um, we have a new defensive coordinator, and you know he has a pretty good track record. You know, he basically was the builder of the Legion of Doom. Um, went down, you know, took a head job with a franchise that's always been substandard and will probably continue to be substandard. But I think he's done some, he did some good things there, and he certainly did some good things with the Charger team that has just been perpetually banged up for the last four years. Um, I'm interested with all the new bodies that they brought in on defense, uh, how they're all going to meld together. But in this, in Gus Bradley, I'm going to trust. Uh, my major concern, and and I think a lot of people are going to differ with me on this, is that we just broke up an offensive line that was pretty good. And some, maybe some of these guys wanted out. Maybe some of them were in a fit. There was Whatever the issues were, um, we no longer have Hudson, who's a tremendous player. We no longer have Jackson, who's a tremendous player. And we no longer have Brown, who was a tremendous player in other places. Now we've got to replace them, because if we don't replace them, we're not going to keep our quarterback upright. And our running back, who's a pretty good football player in his own right, is not going to be able to have the holes to spring, spring through. So as much as I want to, would like to be able to stack the defense and just keep bringing great, you know, you know, great, uh, great players and great bodies, we're not getting those. I want to see what the, what the scheme is and let Gus Bradley kind of figure that part out. I would love mm-hmm. to see a great linebacker, but my number one priority is let's get that right tackle taken care of for the next five-plus years, and let's, and let's make sure that we can keep our quarterback upright, and let's give our running back a chance to get four to five yards of carry. So you believe, um, Big Al, hold on, you believe that a rookie, rookie right tackle for an 8-8 eight and eight team that should have won 10 games is a bigger priority than trading for a right tackle or – you know, getting a veteran or signing a free agent at right tackle. You think that, like the teams that need these quarterbacks that are desperate, like the 49ers, that the Raiders got to feel that desperate and get a right tackle the way the Niners want a quarterback? Only because they they opted to dismantle that offensive line, which, uh, for you know, I'm mm-hmm. not in house, but um, for reasons that you know, as you know, that I didn't, that I don't totally understand today. So if you're in dismantling, you just can't leave it late for a year. Your offense, when you're building lines, whether it's your offensive line or your defensive line, they have to be priorities. And if you're going to go out and say, well, our safety safeties didn't play that well. Uh, one of them is a headhunter, but he's not, he doesn't play under control. Our cornerbacks didn't live, lead it up to expectations. You're not getting to the root of the issue. Great teams in the NFL have very strong interior lines on both sides mm-hmm. of the ball. Yep. The Raiders have built up, uh, you know, despite how you know porous they were defensively, they brought in some pretty good players who, you know, uh, who you know could very well make a difference on the defensive yeah. line. So I'm satisfied with that. On the offensive line, let's fortify. I don't want to think about the offensive line anymore for five years. Mm-hmm. It, you know, if you're going to break it up, you better build it because uh, if you, if we think that the guys that we had who were sec- secondary type roles on the offensive line last year, this yeah. Uh, the Youngs, the Brandon Parkers, and so forth, uh, they don't appear to be the answer within the scheme mm-hmm. the Raiders play. So let's bring in a guy, and we can park him over there, we'll keep yeah. the opposite Miller, and let's build it out. Thanks, Big Al. Always a good call. Appreciate it. Thank God we're streaming in San Francisco. The radio show's everywhere because of the Raiders app. Thank God. Good to hear from you as we're trying to build the Raider Nation in Vegas. 702-365-9200. That's a really good point. It's a very good point because of the success of Colt Miller. 
why not try to go out there and do it again and try to get it done and do it again on the right side? Because it's hard. It's hard to find a rookie right tackle that's going to be very good in this league. That's why these tackles go in the draft high every year. A lot of the guys don't do well. It's hard to come in as a rookie and get it done. It's not easy. And if Mike Mayock's going to do it, he better have the guy that he knows is a can't miss. They can't afford to miss this year with the 17th pick. Matt in Hoboken. Thanks for waiting, Matt. Go ahead. JT, what's up? I, I think I'm, I'm on to your point, and I think I agree with it about the defense. You know, Paul Gunther was not a great defensive coordinator, obviously, but I think the problems we had on defense go beyond him. I think, I think we, we need to still add more impactful defensive personnel. I think he, you know, Gunther was a problem, but he's, he, he wasn't the entire problem. So I'm, 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 I, Ngakwe is a great ad. I think we'll mm-hmm. be improved on the defensive line, but I still think we need to get some players on that second and third level because, you know, I mean, I've, I've, mm-hmm. I have experience coaching the game of football, and I am playing, and I saw things from our personnel that I think need to be improved, and that go beyond just a bad defensive coordinator. And I think that well, a lot of a lot of a lot of equity draft equity Matt was spent in that secondary already. So if you want to add more guys, then you better look back at the the additions of Trayvon Mullen, John Abram, Damon Arnett. That, that, those were big-time high picks to get those guys. You can't just say, hey, we got these three first-round picks or high picks, and now we got to add more for them. you got to stick with those guys and coach them up because you spent so much in first-round picks and high picks to get them. I, I don't disagree with that, but I do, I do think that there's, an, there's a need for some veteran presence on, in, yeah, in the secondary. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with that sentiment, but – and, you know, to your point, you have to give them time to develop, but there is a point in time where you reach, and it may be reached this year, yeah. where you may have to cut a loss or two. Absolutely. Good phone call. That's a, that's a great call. He nailed it. I mean, you're not going to give Jonathan Abram and Damon Arnett two, three years to figure this out. <laughs> I can tell you that. There's no doubt about it. That's why Gus Bradley and his new coaching staff in the secondary was brought in. It's a priority. They've got to make it work. Ihole, the new international award-winning ultra-premium tequila. Ihole is the official tequila of the JT The Brick Show on Raider Nation Radio and the official tequila of the Henderson Silver Knights. Ihole is an expression of joy. So after a touchdown or goal, celebrate by shouting, Ihole! Ihole is from Tequila, Mexico. It's smooth and easy to drink, straight on the rocks, or in your favorite cocktail, and it's 100% agave, addictive-free. Ihole, we're proud to welcome them as our tequila partner right here on Raider Nation Radio. How cool is that? Carr back into the gun with Booker alongside. Takes a snap. Carr looking end zone now. Sprinting over to the left. Going to try to run it in. And he's got it across the goal line for a touchdown. There he is, the godfather. Brent Musburger on the call. JT, happy birthday to Bobby who's running the show. Love to hear from him a little bit later on in the show. And I'm thrilled to talk to our first guest, once a Raider, always a Raider. 
Pat Toomey joins us, a Super Bowl champion, an author. What an unbelievable career. Pat, thanks so much for doing this. I hope you're well. No, no great. Uh, JT, happy to hear from you. There's a little story. Uh, my son, John, and his daughter, Taylor, from Dallas, they grew up and born and raised in Dallas, where I played early in my career. They were on a Western swing recently, and they went to Allegiant, and they saw the bricks. Wow. <laughs> They, 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 nobody knew. I didn't know what, what you guys were doing out there at the stadium. And then uh, John, when he got home, started telling me what was going on. He took a, he had somebody shoot a picture of he and his, his daughter in front of the Raider image store. And of course, although he's grown up in Dallas, where the Cowboys are, I played there mm-hmm. for many years. But he he has the Raider spirit. <laughs> I love it. I love it. The bricks are a big, big part of the legacy of Al Davis, Mark Davis, Mrs. Davis. And we'll wrap it up with that a little bit later on. Pat, I wanted to talk about your early years because, you know, being the son of a military man, it seemed like you were moving around a bit. And then you got to Alexandria, Virginia, football, basketball, baseball, high school All-American honors as a running quarterback before you came to a famous defensive end. Talk about your early years and your passion for sports as a kid. Well, we just did, you know, played all sports growing up. And uh, when it came, I played three sports in high school. And um, when it came time to go to college, I I thought that uh, I I took, I got a split scholarship to Vanderbilt University in, in the SEC in Nashville. I could play. Uh, basketball and football my freshman year then I had to choose and you know in in basketball I was was 6'5 and uh, a a pivot man but I didn't I couldn't shoot from out and if you (laughs) and so I looked I looked and I thought well I could I have a future perhaps if I chose if I choose football and I started out as a linebacker I had been a, a running quarterback in high school, but I gained weight, and I played uh, the three three varsity years in college at about two fifteen as a linebacker, and then uh, the Cowboy Scouts came through and said, "You know, can you gain some weight because we think you're a down lineman?" And so I had to gain you know, 20 pounds, up to about mm-hmm. 250. And then uh, then I was a middle-round pick by the Cowboys. Uh, <clears throat> they didn't, you know, if, if, you're, if you're questionable, if you, can you gain the weight, can you do this? And I could run. Um, I could turn a 40, you know, in less than 4'8", four, 4'9". Four, mm-hmm. And so they liked that, so they took a chance, and I made the team. And... Uh, we went to the Super Bowl that first year in 70, 70 would be the 71 Super Bowl. We lost to Baltimore, and then we went the next year uh, and beat Miami and New Orleans. And then I played five years there, and um, and then I was uh, – I was they drafted a couple linemen very high. Ed Tutal Jones, I don't know if yes. anybody remembers. Big Ed was six feet nine. And I had been a, a, I'd led the team in sacks the year before, and then suddenly when they got the new guys in, the defenses were very complicated, 
And so they just let them rush the passer. So then I became a run specialist. <laughs> and uh, the cowboy defense was very complicated. And um, the better you did your job, the fewer plays you would play. You know, <laughs> We had to manufacture a, a – we said, well, we started evaluating ourselves, the players, Larry Cole and myself and Blaine and I, we pay per play. So if we, pay, if we played only one <laughs> – we played the first down and stopped them. Then the other guys would come in, and we mm-hmm. we'd make a lot of money, you know. Yeah. <laughs> per play, uh, I, I left. I played on my option then. I didn't like the situation. I played on my option and signed with Buffalo this season after OJ Simpson's two thousand years, mm-hmm. two thousand uh, yard season. Mm-hmm. And then I'd written a book. Uh, which was then published while I was up there and it got me in trouble. And this put me into the Raider orbit. <laughs> you know, I was uh, going against the grain a little bit. So I got put on the expansion list down to Tampa and uh, this was their first season. Wow. The first yeah. year. Hold on, Pat. Pat Dume is our guest. So you go from playing in two Super Bowls, winning one for the Cowboys, being a published author, you get sent to Tampa Bay in that expansion right. season. They've run, they've done uh, NFL films has documentaries on that. Well, people were trying to escape from the hotels and run from practice. What was that like? It was it was insane. Uh, uh, John McKay, the great USC coach, had taken the job there, and he had made the mistake of. Uh, saying before he got there that he could coach the NFL from his armchair. And so uh, that roused the ire of the establishment league, and we, we couldn't get a break. We were 0-14. Uh, we had injuries. We probably had 30 guys on injured reserve by the end of the year. It was such a, you know, you usually play good defenses on the field, uh, 30 game, plays a game. We were out there 90 because we couldn't quite stop anybody but uh, the saving grace for me was that uh, Ron Wolf who had been the player personnel director in Oakland had taken the general manager's job there and uh, another player from the Raiders uh, was their tight end Bobby Moore who'd gone to mm-hmm. Stanford sure. he's an East, East Bay guy and so uh, Wolf he traded me to Oakland and uh, then he got fired and ended up back in Oakland the next year as back to being personnel director. And for me, it was like dying and going to football heaven. You know, uh, there was John Madden. Uh, uh, it was just nobody like him. Uh, you, there was a real hierarchy. Right. Uh, you come in and in Oakland and uh, Madden might be sitting in your locker talking about you know, the game or this or that or what's, who's doing what. You know, he actually developed relationships with the players. And uh, uh, it was so eye-opening uh, for me. Yeah, let me jump in, Pat. Let let me jump in, Pat, because we're short on time. Pat Tume is our guest, and I want to get quickly and keep rolling with the Raiders. So you go from Tampa Bay to the Raiders right after the Raiders win the Super Bowl. You play three seasons with the Raiders with the ultimate Mavericks. You mentioned John Madden. Did that help you with your mindset on building and Uh, writing the novel on any given Sunday? uh, It did a bit, yeah, Uh, but it was – there was just the, the, the what happened. 
sort of collection of guys there, and the way Matt and treated them, uh, I'd never seen anything like it, and and it was just a joy to be there. And, I, and the, mm-hmm. when I got there, he he they they had a four three. They would rush. I led the AFC in sacks. Yeah, with the with the defense he had and the, and the guys uh, and uh, Stabler, Pete Banaszak, Freddie Belenikoff. I mean, there was nothing like it. You know, there was nothing like it. You were known anywhere. as third down Pat. Third down <laughs> Pat and with those sacks that year. That's incredible. We're wrapping it up with Pat Toomey. Pat, I got to ask you about being an author. That's what really jumped out at me in our conversation because I'm watching the documentary right now on PBS, Hemingway, and it's incredible. Uh, I am too. <laughs> so you're watching it too. It's, it's one of the best Ken Burns, one of the best documentaries I've ever seen, and I'm only, we're only two episodes in. What was it like right. for you to craft the novel on any given Sunday after the crunch and go into a room and write all day, especially as an ex-football player who won at the highest level? What was that process like? Well, it was exactly that, and my wife at the time <laughs> wasn't it wasn't happy with it, but it was something you feel compelled to do, and you there's a momentum to it, and uh, get, then getting published is something else entirely. But it was just it was something I felt to do, and I'm involved with writing and writers to this day. Uh, David mm-hmm. Marinus, who's a great, uh, yes, uh, he's, he's written a lot of. Stuff. Playwright David Rabe. I've worked with them over the years, and so it's it's fun and liberating, really. It's an incredible life, Pat. I mean, I got to do a deep dive with you on a podcast and really go behind the scenes of everything you've accomplished in your life, your family, as a father, a grandfather, as an author, and playing. and And what, as we wrap this up, you played for some of the greatest people in the history of the NFL, from Gil Brandt, Gil Brandt, who's a Hall of Famer in the draft, to Tom Landry, as you right. mentioned, Coach McKay, the Buffalo right. years, O.J. Simpson, and then Al Davis. Al Davis, I mean, let's wrap it up with Al Davis and the impact Al Davis had on your life. Well, it was incredible. He, you know, that I think they recognized in some of what I was doing, the Raider spirit, you know, and uh, he, he, he just made room for people. He, they weren't judging. They weren't getting rid of guys. We had a lot of guys who couldn't play for anybody else, and and then they would they would solidify there. It was just it was just a, a wonderful experience. And you know, I, I can't say enough about John Matt, really. And lastly, in the movie, any given Sunday, what was your role? in regards to the script or what happened with the book. I, I want to tie that up together. What happened? Because I love that movie. Well, the, what, it's very, it's, the whole thing is very funny, and I've, I've written a, a piece about it. It's, it's complicated. Uh, I was in the film, but mm-hmm. it, it, was, it was a very interesting thing. And if you're going to do a podcast, I'll send, you this, I'll send you the piece I wrote about that experience, which is not what one expects at all. <laughs> It's and an it incredible. Was, uh, yeah, it went into best American sports writing. Dick Schapp picked it for that volume because it was so unusual. What the were the meetings thing, like? What, what were the meetings like with Oliver Stone in the movie? Because the cast well, was it incredible. Was, it was. It was. It was contra- It was. Uh, it was funny because he had guys. He put. You know, Y. A. Tittle was in the film. He'd get mm-hmm. these old greats, but then. We found that what he was doing, what Stone was doing, had was going against 
our experience as players. And so there's, and Jim Brown was in the film too. Right. So we would talk and then Brown would have to educate us on what was going on and what he was trying to do, which wasn't at all what we, uh, what the, what the game that we experienced was like. And so there was all this stuff going back and forth. It was very uh, funny and interesting. Uh, but you know, that's, that's a complicated subject for yeah. a different, for a different. Yeah, we'll venue, do it. We'll do it somewhere else down the road. Hey, uh, pleasure talking to you. I look forward to doing something with you in the future here and getting you out to Vegas and Pat, your role with the Raiders in the NFL. It's one of the great stories and I'm happy you shared a portion of it with us and hope to see you out here soon for a game this year. Well, I'd, I'd like to, as soon as this, I'm not interested in experiencing a ventilator. So as soon as the COVID gets, <laughs> Put aside, I'll be there. I get my second vaccine tomorrow. You got it. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. God bless. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, JT. Pat Tume. Wow. Again, you know, some of these interviews go long, and I'm thrilled that they do. I, I didn't have enough time to get to this guy's life. Pat Tume played in two Super Bowls, won one for the Cowboys, came to the Raiders, was a part of the expansion Buccaneers, played on the O.J. Simpson Bills, wrote the novel on any given Sunday. The other book, The Crunch, which is a professional book that everybody talks about with football, he went to Vanderbilt University. Do you know how smart you got to be to go to Vanderbilt? He grew up the son of an Air Force officer, and he was a high school All-American as a running quarterback before he became a defensive end in the NFL. I mean, incredible. How many guys could say they had a life like that? in and around football. Just fantastic. And again, if you saw the movie Any Given Sunday, it comes off his book, his novel, On Any Given Sunday. And that's what I really wanted to get into as I'm watching this Hemingway documentary and you see about these writers and how these writers were able to formulate books and write novels and the depth of what it takes to be patient and to be able to do that. And, you know, Ernest Hemingway is one thing. Uh, This guy's a former football player who wrote on any given Sunday. So incredible. I hope you enjoyed a portion of that. And I'll do a podcast with Pat and get into more of the movie and the the script and who was in that movie. He mentioned Jim Brown. Now, I had an exclusive with Jim for five years on the radio. And I remember when Jim went to do that movie and what it meant to him to be in that movie. And he had a great role in that movie. Al Pacino as the coach. Oh, I'm going to go back and watch it at some point this weekend or next week. Thanks to Pat Toomey, once a Raider, always a Raider. The JT The Brick Show brought to you by the Henderson Hyundai Superstore. Donald back to throw, looks left, has time, fires one down the left sideline for Crowder. He's got it. Front left pylon, and he's in. That's a jet touchdown. Jamison Crowder comes back to his old team, and for the third straight game, Crowder's able to score. Sam Darnold with his fourth touchdown pass of the game. Jets radio on the call. That becomes interesting now. Sam Darnold has now been traded to Carolina. Carolina has the eighth pick in the first round. And they picked up his option for his fifth year. So it looks like Sam Darnold will be the starter. They also have Teddy Bridgewater. So this, to me, is a really big deal because Sam Darnold is young. Okay, you're talking about a 23-year-old guy, his whole career is in front of him, and he got screwed 
by the Jets. The, the Jets were terrible when he went there. So it's not all on Sam Darnold. Uh, the GM, Joe Douglas for the Jets, talked about the consideration now that they have the number two pick and everybody thinks they're going to take a quarterback. I think that's that? a fair assessment. I think based on on uh, the decision we made yesterday, you can kind of see the direction we're heading. When it comes to pick two, obviously never say never. You know, like, like I've said to you guys in the past, I'll always answer the phone if it's ringing. Well, I think that's interesting, but it looks like they're going to take Zach Wilson. Steve Young is on board with that from BYU. He looks to be the obvious choice. More from Douglas on now saying goodbye to Darnold and wishing him well. Yeah, had a great conversation with Sam uh, yesterday, but Sam's a first-class human being, a pro's pro, and, uh, you know, I really respect Sam, and I'm rooting rooting for Sam, and I know, I know he's going to be successful. Yeah, I wanted you to hear the Steve Young comment. Steve Young is one of, you know, one of the all-time greats, a Hall of Famer, went to BYU. He seems to be one of the only guys who knows anything about Zach Wilson who looks like he'll go number two overall to the Jets. There's no question in my mind that if they can figure out how to get Zach, that's their number one first choice. I just don't know how they get it done. The Jets have committed to Zach and recruited the family. I mean, I just I don't know how that gets undone. I think Zach would love it. Uh, the family would love it. You know, nothing would make anyone happier. I think the 49ers, that's their unstated first choice. So that would be wonderful. If it can happen, they'll figure it out. And they would love to have Zach. Three gets them close. Well, this is interesting now because when you look at a trade and he's talking about the Niners getting up there to get Zach Wilson, but Steve Young just gave us a secret. He said that the Jets have been recruiting Zach Wilson's family. So they're going in that direction, and they shipped Sam Darnold out. So who's going to be the quarterback for Carolina? Will it be Teddy Bridgewater, who the Raiders beat last year? Remember, the Raiders opened up last season on the road, and they beat Carolina. And then they came home for the home opener and beat New Orleans. If we remember what the Raiders did last year, they got off to a really good start. And we saw that Carolina game, and Christian McCaffrey was a factor, but he wasn't a great factor in that game. So Sam Darnold, I think, is an upgrade from Teddy Bridgewater. The question becomes, how big of an upgrade? I'm not a huge Sam Darnold fan, but he definitely deserves a second chance. He deserves a second chance, and that's all anybody wants in life. I'm on my 19th chance. Anybody who can get a second or third chance, you want to be able to take advantage of that. We're brought to you by Sam and Ash, SamandAshLaw.com. I was just with them at First Fridays, great friends of the show. I got a chance to tour their office, meet their team right in the heart of downtown. If you get into an accident, remember these insurance companies, they have zero interest in giving their money to you. That's why you need two experts Two for one with Sam and Ash. 702-820-1234. Pick up the phone and call them. If you got into a recent accident or just know the number if you do, you want to get the best results, Sam and Ash will do that. 702-820-1234. Former NFL tight end Anthony Beck will join us. And Nota Begay is going to join, uh, join us, the golfer. He's going to call in from Augusta.